Happy Sabbath. Are you happy? All right. Some of us need to tell our face about it then, right? I think, I, think, I think Ellen White has a quote about that. I think she actually says that you should tell your face. If you feel joy and you're happy, tell your face about it, right? I have to tell my face sometimes, but that's okay. That's what life's all about. Praise the Lord. Well, my friends, before we go any further, I'm going to go ahead and ask the Lord to not just be with us, but to fill us with His Spirit so that we can receive this message the way it needs to be received. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer right now. Our Father in heaven, Lord, again, you are marvelous. Your word is truly a word of life. It gives us life. And Lord, we dare not crack or break the bread of life at this moment, dive deep into your word without first asking and pleading for the leadership, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need it. I need you to speak through me right now. Not my words, not my ideas, not my thoughts, but yours. And may each and every one of us, including myself, receive a blessing. May our hearts burn within us and be stirred because of your words of life this morning. We praise you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. About a month ago, I posted something to Facebook. And for those of you who might follow me on Facebook, you know that I primarily, about 99% of the content that I post on Facebook or any social media platform, I try to use it for the purpose of giving glory to God. I try to use it for the purpose of sharing God's Word, uh, sharing spiritual music and things that's going to encourage people, get people to think, right? People need to think sometimes. Sometimes we need we need to something to stir our hearts, to prick our hearts, and to cause us to stop and take some self-examination. I do this often. Often. In fact, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. I probably most of the time don't even scroll past the first 10 or 15 posts on there because I have some of my Christian friends and people that I follow. But nonetheless, from time to time, I'll try to post something encouraging or something sometimes that may even be a little controversial in nature, uh, not for the purpose to stir up argument or, or uh, you know, uh, cause people to butt heads. But sometimes we need to be challenged. We need, uh, we need, we need that, that extra oomph right? To, to push us in a direction to think and allow the Lord to examine us and, and to allow us to be examined. So about a month ago, I posted one of those posts, just simply just placing a message out there. And uh, this was what it was. Let me see if I can get this to work right. Maybe, maybe it won't. There we go. So here was my post. I just took a snapshot of it. And this is what I posted. When did truth become subjective? We now live in a world of my truth rather than the truth. Sad. And I knew that this was going to spark some type of response. And that's the thing about social media these days. I've had people, you know, uh, even my wife, I I terrify her half the time. She'll say, why do you post some things that you post? Oh, you know, she gets real scared because she's worried about some of the responses I'm going to get. But, you know, I've noticed and I've learned in the very short time of ministry that I've been in, uh, it doesn't matter how sweet or kind or nice or positive you intend every one of your messages to be. There's always a tear lurking around the corner waiting to pounce on the first opportunity to say something negative about something positive that you posted. 
That's just the truth of the world that we live in. So it don't matter how nice, how kind, how sad, how controversial, there's always someone just lurking and waiting like a predator to, to just say something negative because they're not going to say it to your face, right? They, they live behind a screen and, and a keyboard. That's, that's, that's their comfort zone. And they'll say anything behind that. So I knew I was going to get a kind of a mixture of responses, but there was one that really stuck out to me, all right? In fact, it was so short that it can literally be said in a millisecond. But when I read the response, I immediately bursted in laughter because it was kind of comical at first, but then I realized that this brother was expressing in his own kind of language that he agreed with what I had said. And so here's the response I got. Okay, so notice again, when, when did truth become subjective? We now live in a world of my truth rather than the truth. And of course, that is a sad uh, thought, right? That's a sad reality uh, that some people live in. And this is the response I got from one of my brethren. Of course, I, I blacked out his name so you can't see his name or his identity, but here's his response. True dad. True dad. Now, some of you cackle and laugh. Some of you are sitting there like, what in the world? What in the world is it? What? True? And some of you are even enunciating it. True debt? What is true debt? <laughs> it's, it's a slang. It's kind of a modern slang. You probably, you know, you hear some people that have a little bit, you know, everybody has their own kind of version of slang, right? Uh, even us that kind of maybe might consider ourselves more articulate when we speak there. We all have our own little bit of sling that we use from time to time. But this really, I laugh so, you could ask my wife, I laugh so hard at this. I, I don't know why, why I thought it was funny, but it was just a real quick, easy response. True that. And I just laughed at that. And I caught myself over the last month or so, and you can ask my wife, uh, on occasion, I will hear something that I believe to be truth. And you can hear me from the other end of the house. True that. That's right. And so as I was preparing this message, I usually try to come up with uh, a good uh, title for a message that's going to stick, that's going to click, that's going to help you remember, that's going to, you know, even cause you to remember even days, weeks, months after. And so I couldn't come, ever, as I was going through this message and the Lord was revealing this truth and this truth and I was pulling all this together, I kept finding myself in my office at work, in my office at home saying, man, yeah, true that, yeah, true that. So the title of this sermon is True That. Now, you might find that to be a little, you know, sarcastic, facetious, a little humorous. Some of you may not even find that funny at all. Maybe, I don't know, even offended by what I'm putting up here. But I promise you, this is going to help you remember uh, this sermon, because whether or not you agree with speaking this way or not, or you think it's just absolutely silly and ridiculous, I promise you, throughout this message and throughout your week next week, there's going to be multiple moments where you think to yourself, man, that's true, and you're going to say, true that. True that. One of the most interesting scenes in all the Bible. In fact, let me hear what you said. Can you ever say that with me? True that. Let me hear that. True that. All right. We won't say that. We're going to exercise that a couple of times throughout this message. I like, I like, a there's nothing wrong with a little bit of humor every once in a while, right? The Bible says laughter is good for us, right? But we certainly don't want to minimize this message to not be serious because it very much is serious. One of the most interesting scenes in all of scripture is found in John chapter 18. Jesus has been arrested and he has now been taken into the courts 
of the Roman governor, Pilate Pontius. And Pilate is going to do a little bit of investigation. He commences to interrogate Jesus on who he is and what he has done to cause these people to bring him to his courts, to upset him, to stir up the multitudes. And so he's very intrigued by this because I'm sure looking at Jesus, you know, I'm sure Jesus just looked like a regular old kind of plain, you know, average Joe, right? With the exception of maybe his longer hair and, you know, he, but he didn't seem to be someone that was dangerous or, or appealed to be some type of trouble. And so the Bible tells us, beginning in John 18, starting with verse 33, notice what the Bible says. It says, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Then Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause, I love this, I have come into this world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then comes the famous response from Pilate. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. One of the most interesting questions that we find in Scripture, what is truth? Now, I have to just say up front, many of you are going to hear a form of this again, because here in a couple of days, uh, the pastoral department is going to come together and we're going to do a family worship on this topic. I'm sure it'll air sometime in the near future. But this, this subject has just been on my mind over the last few months. We live in a day and age where I believe the truth has been obscured. And many people today are asking that question, maybe not out loud, but in their hearts and minds, they're saying, what is truth? What is it? Is it something that we can really know? Is it something that is absolute? Or does everyone have their own version of truth? In fact, many people would probably agree with Scottish playwright Oscar Wilde when he made this very interesting statement. He said, the truth is rarely pure and never simple. 
I suspect we live in a world where multitudes of people share that same ideology. Or perhaps some people agree with the mentality and the words of famous musician and singer Bob Dylan when he said, all the truth in the world adds up to one big lie. And then some of us scoff at that, right? Because it just sounds silly. It just sounds backwards. It don't even sound right. It's like, what? Because, because some of us are a little more grounded in what we believe truth to be than others. But nonetheless, I believe that we live in a day and age where many people would agree with this statement. All the truth in the world adds up to one big lie. And then, and then you have to consider the reality that we live in a world where, yes, everyone now has, okay, get this, I can't quite wrap my mind around it, but everyone has their own truth. Notice the words I'm using, your own truth, your truth. In fact, in the Huffington Post, Oprah Winfrey was quoted to have said these words, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we have. Your truth. You have a truth. I got a truth. Everybody's got a truth. Just speak your truth. Boy, doesn't that sum up 2020? That's it. That right there sums up 2020 pretty well, right? Everyone's got their own truth. Interesting. Uh, new and upcoming author Alex L. Notice what she wrote in one of her books and has even published this in social media. Live in your purpose. Follow your light. Love in your truth. You got your own light. I got my own light. You got your own truth. I got my own truth. Everybody is just kind of just, we're just coexisting in our own little individual realities. That's what they, that's what they say. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know who he is? You know Sylvester Stallone? Yeah. He says, I believe there is an inner power that makes winners or losers. And the winners are the ones who really listen to the truth of their hearts. Listen to the truth of your own heart. Whatever your heart tells you to do, just follow it because that's your truth. And nobody else can take that away from you. Follow the own truth, the truth of your own heart. Famous author Elizabeth Gilbert. And these people represent millions, my friends. Millions of people that follow them and that, that consider them uh, very influential people. Notice what Elizabeth Gilbert says. She said, true power comes from standing in your own truth and walking your own path. Just find your own way. Find your own truth. Walk in your own path. That is what is true, according to Elizabeth Gilbert. And then, of course, I found this one here that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, popular uh, uh, motivational speaker and author Steve Mariboli. This is what he had to say. Stop lying to yourself. When we deny our own truth, we deny our own potential. What's the common denominator between all of these quotes, and of course I would say, again, billions of people share this same mentality. We have our own reality. We have our own truth. What's true for you may not be true for me. What, it, what is light to you may not be light. What is light to you may be darkness to me. And so therefore I have to walk in my own light 
I can't be walking in your light. You can't walk in my light. I've got my own opinions, my own ideas. You've got your own opinions, your own ideas. And therefore, we have created, we live in a society today that can be best described as relativism. The doctrine or concept of relativism. My truth is what I say it is. My truth is what I want it to be. Everything's relative. And it's quite interesting. Let me just define relativism real quick so that we understand what we're talking about. That could be a big word for some people, and some people may not know. What is, what is relativism? Let's define that. So here's what relativism is defined as in, then uh, I think I pulled this from Oxford's Dictionary. So notice what they say here. The doctrine that knowledge, that is knowledge, truth, and morality exists in relation to culture, society, or historical context, and are not absolute. In other words, everything's relative. Truth is subjective. It's not objective. It's subject to opinion. And of course, it's subject to the reality in which perhaps maybe you may live in a certain culture. Uh, It depends on the society that you live around or or live in. And of course, it could change. The, 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 The truth could change based on historical context. In other words, truth is not absolute. What may be true for you may not be true for me. So then we go back to the question, what is truth? You know, the reason why I bring this up is because you expect the world to fall under this ideological thinking. You expect those from outside of the faith to perhaps fall in line with this particular mentality of relativism, that everything is relative according to your own personal opinion and your own particular mentality how you perceive it. But what's baffling to me is that now you get inside the Christian church. You step inside the Christian faith. And this concept of relativism is dominating and eroding the church from the inside out. I I run into more and more Christians. The letters that I get in pastoral, Joe knows this, the phone calls we get, the letters we get, the emails we get, my heart, I find myself sometimes sitting at my desk and I have to just pull my headphones off, pull my glasses off, and bury my hands in my face because my heart breaks at some of the thoughts, the ideas, the, the, the statements, and, and the mentality that professed Christians are sharing today. And what baffles me more than anything is there more, there's more than 40,000 different denominations. Why? How? Where do we get 40,000 different denominations? Where do they come from? Because even in the Christian church, there's at least 40,000 different perspectives that's relative to their own perspective and their own truth. And what's amazing is the common denominator between them all is supposed to be this. 
We may have different translations. We may have different versions. But at the end of the day, we all supposedly, okay, at least in theory, at least in, in ideology, we, we claim that this is the foundation of our faith. And it's like, so why are there 40,000? That means at least 40,000 different individuals that came, they, they probably didn't come together, but it, over time, obviously, 40,000 different people, some gentleman woke up, lady woke up one day and said, hmm, I don't believe that. I'm going to start my own institutional, what I believe is true. We live in the age of I think I believe. Well, my belief is this. Well, what do you think about? Well, I think that this is the truth. And again, on certain, you know, non-faith-related issues, I mean, we all have opinions, right? I mean, I, I got my own opinion about, you know, which toilet paper I like, which I think's best. Now, you come together and I know it's an interesting illustration, but seriously, don't tell me you don't go to the, don't go to the church, and, or excuse me, the church, well, for some people, I guess the store is the church. Don't, don't tell me you don't go to the store from time to time, and when you get to that aisle and it's time to purchase the, 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 you know, the, the toilet paper, that, that you go to that aisle and you are already predetermined in your mind as you approach this aisle that you're looking for a specific kind that you believe is best fit to your particular needs. And you bring everyone together, I guarantee you we could start a debate and it'd go on for two or three hours on what toilet paper's the best. You know, those type of opinions and those type of things, those, you know, okay, everybody's got those little odd names. But when it comes to the Word of God, truth, what is it? So I'm going to ask a question. Should Christians view truth as absolute? Because if your answer is yes, in the majority today, you are an outcast. The majority mentality today, and in fact, I'm going to prove that to you. You say, Ryan, I don't believe it's the majority. You know, maybe a, a, an, an insignificant minority believes that truth isn't absolute. I'm going to show you based on actual research statistics, recent as of 2019, that most Christians, statistically, do not believe that truth is absolute. So if you're here today and you answer that question, well, yes, an absolute, astounding, affirmative, yes, truth is absolute. It's the way we should uh, believe in it. Uh, you are in the minority. Before we can answer this question, we must first answer the question, what is a Christian? Now, I admit, the definitions I'm about to give you is Ryan's probably fourth or fifth revised definition of what a Christian is, based on what I believe the Bible teaches me. Now, you may have a different opinion. You may come up with a different perspective. But looking at multiple definitions that are out there in the secular documents, as well as what we find in Scripture, I was able to sum up what a Christian is. And here it is. What is a Christian? It's someone who follows Jesus Christ in obeying His Word for the purpose of replicating His character. When you say, I'm a Christian, this is what you're saying you are. Because a true Christian is someone who follows Jesus, follows Jesus Christ in obeying His Word for the purpose of replicating His character. Now you say, I don't quite agree with that. It's a little bit more complex than that. I'm going to show you from Scripture in just a moment. There's several texts that can back up this, this idea right here. But what we have is we have people that are true Christians, okay, 
And then you have what I like to call selfshins. Okay? You have Christians, and then you have selfshins. Most professed Christians are selfshins. Let's identify what a selfshin is. Here's a selfshin. Someone who may profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but does not follow his word. This person lives according to their own understanding rather than the truth of God's word. A selfshin. They pick and choose. They decide based on the relative perspective of what they perceive to be truth that this concept of scripture either fits or doesn't fit in my lifestyle or my purpose or my agenda. And therefore, they don't always follow all or believe in all of what Christ has said. They've established their own mentality, hence why there's 40,000 different denominations today. And most, most Christians have a, have a special copy of, of a special version of scripture in their library that they use more than any other. Now we all have, I don't know about you, as a, as a biblical student, I have many, many different Bibles, okay? Many different versions of the scripture, different translations that I use when I'm studying and I'm doing research and I'm trying to learn what the language is saying to me. I often go to multiple different translations and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a responsible way of studying. I, I encourage you to do that. But most people have, you know, well, we have the, you know, people who like the King James version, wonderful version. I love it. Uh, we have people that like the new King James version, right? Uh, that's a good version of scripture. Uh, you might like the new international version. You might, might like the new living translation. You have all these different versions of scripture, but there's one popular version that almost everyone has as a copy in their own personal library that they use quite often. It's one that you may not have seen, but it's there. It's called the self-revised version. And what sets, what sets the self-revised version apart from the other versions that say generally the same thing, what sets this version apart is they have, might, might have, most of the 66 books of the original scripture with the exception of you know, some edits and some takeaways and some you know, deletes and some alterations here and there. But you better believe there's two extra added books that you will find in the popular world self-revised version. The original Bible has 66 books. In the self-revised version, there's 68. And those two added books, which are very, very popular among most Christians today, is uh, the books of first and second opinions. This is the world we live in. Of course, I'm saying that facetiously. Understand, I'm coming from a little bit of a sarcastic uh, standpoint here. But you get my point, right? In fact, most of us would probably hear what I just said and say, true that. True that. We live in a world where we put Christians in the same room. And again, there's nothing wrong with having opinions and differences. But we're talking about major, major truths found in God's Word. We can't agree on them. We can't agree on them. Why? Because I've got my own truth. What's true for you isn't true for me. And see, the danger of relativism, let me bring this down to you really clearly before we go any further. The danger of relativism is this, is that it basically launches us into false separate realities. That there's not a, there's no longer an objective truth or an objective reality that we are all bound to, that we are all grounded in. 
When you take on the concept of relativism and it dominates your, your thinking, it dominates your, your lifestyle, it dominates your life, then the concept of relativism is that it, it, it separates you from that foundational objective reality. And it launches you into a separate reality. And eventually what happens, and you're seeing it especially more than any other time before. If there's ever a perfect example where relativism is more clearly saw and viewed and, and observed is right here in 2020. Because what relativism ultimately does is when it's, when you start to separate yourself and place your own self in your own alternate reality based on the relative truth that makes sense to you, your own personal truth, your own personal light, your own personal path, eventually you are completely eroding and destroying the lines of communication. There's no more possible way for you to communicate properly with someone whose truth is separate from your truth. That's what's happening. That's the world we live in today. A Christian is someone who is grounded and solidified not in their own truth, but in the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of the Word of God. And if you're going to be a true biblical Christian, my friends, please get this next point. Jesus said in John 14, 15, we know it, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, you're going to be a Christian, then you must be obedient to me, right? Keep my commandments. But here's, he, he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 23 and he says, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. But then he reinstates again the concept in verse 24. Notice what he says here. He says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So the question of the hour, should Christians view truth as absolute? If we can't trust our own mentality, if we can't trust our own thinking, our own judgment, then whose can we trust? As Christians. Again, if you're not a professed Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're not in this category. That doesn't mean that this message can't be for you. It's just that depending on your reality, your own personal reality, this may not resonate with you. But as Christians, should Christians view truth as absolute? Let's let Jesus tell us. John 18, verse 37, we just read it a few moments ago. For this cause I was born, he says, and for this cause I have come into the world that, notice, I should bear witness to... The truth, everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Is that sound, does that sound absolute or a little obscure? That sounds absolute, right? In fact, even in the original Greek, the definite article is present. Jesus didn't show up on the scene and say, look, you guys, look, I came into the world to just, you know, show you a truth or two. He said, I came into the world. To transform your life. I came into the world to show you who I am. I came into the world to point you to not just any old kind of rinky-dink, little mealy-neely little truth that you might devise in your own mind. I came to show you, listen, definite, the truth. He says, look, everyone who here, notice, who is, uh, notice, everyone who is of the truth, that, that's definite. That's absolute. Everyone who is of the truth 
Here's my voice. And that transformative aspect, I love it. Notice what John chapter 8, verse 32, that famous verse, Jesus says, and you shall know what kind of truth? The truth and the truth shall make you free. What kind of truth is going to set us free? Just any old kind of truth that we conjure up in our minds. My friends, the Bible makes it clear that there's only one kind of truth for the Christian follower. It's the truth. It's a pre-specified truth, a truth that is made clear and direct from the source of truth himself, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus didn't, he didn't leave anything out. By the time you get to the first few verses of John 14, he says, let me remind you when I spoke about all that truth, you know, the truth, he says, let me remind you who I am. I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So how are we getting to heaven? How are we getting to heaven? Only through whom? Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the truth. And if you want to be a follower of me, you must believe in the truth. You must allow the truth to set you free. (laughs) Come on. Some of us would read that text and say, true that. True that. Can Christians know what truth is today? Can we know? Can we be sure? Because the more and more I visit and talk with many of my Christian friends, whether inside my Seventh-day Adventist denomination or outside my Seventh-day Adventist denomination, I'm finding more and more, more and more Christians are saying, well, you know, again, relativism. Truth is subjective. That's your truth. This is my truth. You see it this way. Well, have you ever heard someone say that? Well, that's your interpretation. Well, we live in a world, at the end of the day, if you put somebody together in a room and you have them to talk through, or someone might even say debate a biblical topic, and they're on opposite pole sides of the, of the conversation, but yet they're coming together for the purpose to come to a clear understanding of what is absolute truth, you know, there really has to be a big piece of humble pie in the mix. Because if you're going in it truly and genuinely with the purpose of, you know what, I recognize that I don't really know anything. That I really don't know as much as I thought I knew. That there's a whole lot more that I have to learn, no matter how much experience I may have in this life. And in order for, for, for two people on opposite pole side to come to a clear conclusion of, you know what, that's exactly what the scripture says, we need to settle that this is the absolute truth. There has to be a big piece of humble pie in the mix. There has to be some humility for someone to come to the conclusion to say, you know what, I I was wrong. But yet, I have found more and more times that at the end of the day, when all other perspectives and all other points have been made in a debate about truth, where there is no humility, you know what the final absolute perspective that they lean on is? Well, that's your interpretation. That's your interpretation. When I read this text, I, I interpret it differently. You interpret it this way, I interpret it that way. What is, what is that? What would we call that? And what does the Bible say about private interpretation? Well, you say, but Ryan, we all have a private interpretation. Do we? Do we? I think on certain unrelated, unimportant issues, of course, right? But what about when it comes to God's word? What is the principle that we always try to rely on? At least we should. 
is that we allow the word of God to interpret itself. We done threw that out the window. Most Christians have thrown that right out the window. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. I recognize this is not a popular sermon. And if you haven't figured out by now, Ryan Day don't usually preach popular sermons. Not because I just get excited about it, but because we live in times. We live in times where often the status quo needs to be challenged. Especially when the status quo is not in harmony with God's Word. Relativism. My truth, my light, your truth, your light. Your interpretation, my interpretation. I'll never forget, on the point of the Sabbath, I'll never forget, uh, I was doing a sermon years ago. I think I've told this story before. Went to a church, done an evangelistic series. Lady came every single night to all of my evangelistic meetings. I even spoke with her afterwards. We, you know, we, you know, she had this beautiful smile. And she was so happy and so outgoing. And I was just so excited. Like, yeah, this lady, you know, she's, she's going to see the truth. She's going to accept it because I could tell, you know, sometimes we read body language. We read, you know, somebody's, you know, uh, just, it's got this energy about them. It just seems like that, that person is genuine. But then came the night where I had to preach on the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And I saw that smile <laughs> go from this to And I watched her as she stood up in the middle of my sermon. And she walked out, stormed out, mad. Mad as a hornet. In fact, right in the middle of my sermon, I could hear her chattering in the back of the auditorium as she was, she was giving, she was letting somebody hear it. Because she told him, he's telling me that I'm going to go to hell if I don't, if I don't keep Saturday holy. Even though I have never said those exact same words. She interpreted it that way. She came a few days later. It was like four or five days. She didn't come to my meetings. I called her. She wouldn't answer the phone call. So finally, she shows up randomly after like four or five nights being gone. She shows up at the church. I saw her in the parking lot. I was excited. I thought, oh, yes, Lord. You, you got her, right? She walks in with that big smile. <laughs> and she said, hey, Ryan. I said, hey, sister, how are you doing? We've been missing you. I know. Well, just, and she, she wanted me to know right up front. She goes, just know, I'm not here to stay. And I said, well, what do you mean you're not here to stay? I, I'm not here to stay. I, I just came to get a book from someone who promised to give me a book. I said, oh, I said, okay. I said, well, sister, I said, by the way, if you don't mind me asking, but I noticed, you know, you left the other night pretty upset and, and, and you, know, you haven't been back. Is there something that I can help answer? Is there something, you know, can we have a conversation? Can we talk? You know what? It, it just seemed like you were doing so well. And then the Sabbath topic just threw you off, you know, because there any way we can help make that more clear for you? She goes, oh, no, no. All with a big smile. She said, Ryan, let me just make it clear. You have your Sabbath and I have mine. Your Sabbath is Saturday and my Sabbath is Sunday. I had to quickly remind her that me and her and everyone else that lives in this world, we don't have a Sabbath. We don't own a Sabbath. We don't have, we don't have the right to alter or change or declare which day is our day. 
Because if we are Christians and not selfians, if we're Christians, then we have to rely on a thus saith the Lord. And that's where we are today, my friends. We have completely, many of us, many Christians, are, have abandoned the, the, the absolute objective principles of God's Word to launch themselves into a never-ending, deep rabbit hole of nothingness, of relativism and personal perspective and theory. Mm. Can Christians know what truth is today? Let's let the Bible, as Christians tell us, what it says. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, what did Jesus say when he was combating the enemy's temptations? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? So how should a Christian's life be, and I don't even want to use this word dictated, but let's just say, how should a Christian's life be led? What is the foundation of a Christian's life? It should always be, thus saith the Lord, the word of God, what comes from the mouth of God. And of course, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, prior to becoming arrested and going to a cross, he prayed to his father and he said, sanctify them, his people, his followers, his church, through thy what? Through thy truth, thy word is truth. So what is truth according to the master of the universe? It's his word. It is him. Everything to do with him. His word is truth. I love Psalms 119, 160. Love it. Beautiful. The entirety. Can I hear you say that? The what? The entirety of your word is what? Is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. I love that. That we don't have to pick up. We live in a day and age today where Christian Christians pick up this and they just they go through it and well that truth that that part doesn't really resonate. I just that does that affects my my personal mentality that 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 affects my personal energy and uh, that just doesn't fit in my lifestyle. Oh, I like this part right here though. That's good. I'll, I'll take note of that one. And then they'll go through here and we, we find people picking and choosing and isolating and deleting and editing and all this other stuff. My friends, again, the entirety, all of it, all of God's word is truth. What should your light be? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So is the word of God light to Christians? Is the word of God light to his followers? And that's why he encouraged and inspired Isaiah to write in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 to the law and to the testimony if they do not speak according to this word. It is because there is no light in them. And many of us can read those texts. And what should our response be to those truthful texts? True that. Straight up. Straight up. Why should the Bible be received as the ultimate truth? Because that's, you know, I find Christians asking that question today. Well, you know, there's a lot of wonderful good principles. And you, you hear me saying this. You know, that many Christians, Ryan, you say many Christians, many Christians, no, 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 surely not. Surely I've never, I've never met, you know, you may be seeing wherever you are at home today, you may be sitting in here in this live building and saying, you know what, I, I just never heard Christians say these things. I just, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't, I can't really resonate with what you're saying. My friends, I'm going to show you some startling, incredible statistics in just a few moments to back up the claims of what I'm saying. 
and I see it, I experience it, the more and more I talk to professed Christians today. And so it, it just, we have to ask this important question. Why should the Bible be received as the ultimate truth? Here, here's the number one reason why. And then we're going to show some scripture why. You see, the Bible identifies truth as a quality intrinsic to the very nature of God. This should not come as too much of a surprise to us since the Bible is primarily about whom? Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus indeed called himself what? The truth. And I apologize. I can see now that I did not choose a good color for that. On my screen, it's very clear, but on those screens, it's not. Uh, so that those blue blurs you see there uh, appear to be, uh, well, to me, as I put them in here, they are scriptural references. Uh, and I'll try to make mention of that as I go through this list here. But Jesus refers to himself and calls himself the truth, according to John 14, verse 6. The Bible reveals that Jesus was full of truth, according to John 1 and Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible tells us that Jesus is he told the truth according to Mark chapter 12 and John chapter 8. And of course, whose words are what? They are true according to Revelation 21 and also Revelation chapter 22. The Bible also teaches us that Jesus taught the way of the of God in truth according to Matthew 22 and of course Mark 12 as well as Luke chapter 20. We also see that Jesus taught about the truth, according to John chapter 8 and John chapter 17. And of course, he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And we saw that earlier in John chapter 18. So why should Christians receive? Notice Christians. I keep saying that over because if you're a Christian, who are you? Your identity is in who? Jesus Christ. And what is the entire Bible all about? It's all about Jesus Christ. The Bible has a better and higher standard. It defines truth as being utterly reliable and enduring. And the reason is simple. Authentic biblical truth is inextricably linked to the dependable, unchanging character of God. Truth cannot be unhinged from absolutes. But yet we live in a day and age where, you know, we unhinge truth to be, it can't be absolute, it's whatever I want it to be. You can trust everything God says. He never lies. He always keeps His word. He's faithful to all His promises. That's why, that's why uh, David was able to write in Psalm 31 verse 5, And to your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O God, of what? Of truth. In Numbers 23, verse 19, love that text, beautiful text. It reminds us God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? I love that. And of course, again, Paul in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us here from the words of Paul, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of what? The truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, oh, I love this, who cannot what? God cannot lie, promised before time began. 
but it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the what? According to the commandment of God, our Savior. Speaking of the commandment, what governing principles epitomize the truth as found in God's character? Mm -mm. I love Psalm 119, 142 makes it very clear. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. But, but what does the majority of Christianity teach about the law today? It's relative. The majority of Christianity today in, in preaching against the law, what are they preaching against? They're preaching against God. They're preaching against truth. You cannot separate God from His law. Because His law tells the story of who He is. Look at this. Beautiful. Is God good? I said, is God good? Woo! Not only is God good, but you can see, I'm not going to read them, but all of those textual references are there. The Bible says that the law is also good. Because God's good. He gave it. Is God holy? Is His law holy? Yes, it is. Is God perfect? His law is also perfect. Is God just? His law also. He is true. He is spiritual. He is righteousness and his law is righteousness. He is faithful. He is love. He is unchangeable. Is God eternal? Is God's law eternal? Woo! And what would we say to that? True that. That's right. And so the question that I'm left with here as we prepare to slow things down. Why do so many professed Christians struggle with the accepting, with accepting and formulating their lives around the truth of God's word? Well, that's a, that's, that's, that's a, that's a mouthful. That's a mindful, right? Why are so many professed Christians struggling with accepting and formulating their lives around the truth of God's word? I'm going to let the Bible tell you why. Being that I'm a Christian, and I believe in the absolute truth of God's Word, this is what God's Word says. One of the shortest but most profound scriptures in all of the Bible is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. And what, what counsel do we find there? Do not quench the Spirit. What does that mean? Do not quench the Spirit. You see, the Bible says you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Is it okay if I pick on my Adventist brothers and sisters? 
Because that would include me. I guess I pick on myself too, huh? You see, inside the Adventist church, which I love, love it, we place a very, very strong, high priority in believing, teaching, and professing truth. So therefore, the worship Him in truth aspect, man, we're all about that. But what does it mean to worship Him in spirit? Some of us don't understand that. You see, many of us, we know the truth. We got it right here. But there's a war going on in our hearts and minds between this and this. We know it. We might even preach it and teach it. But there's a war. And many times that war that causes us to not absolutely submit to that truth causes us to quench the Spirit of God in our life. And when you quench the Spirit of God, do you realize, and this goes for all Christians, when we quench the Spirit of God in our life, what is it, what is it that we're doing? We're severing something. We're cutting off the spiritual supply line for God to send the Holy Spirit to do exactly what He wanted Him to do. What did Jesus say? However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into how much truth? Notice, He's the Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth. And He wants to come and guide us into all truth. Did you know that God wants you to, to, to submit yourself to all truth? Do you know that the master of the universe wants you to believe in all truth? He wants the Holy Spirit to come download all truth in your heart and mind. But some of us are quenching the Spirit. It goes on to say, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. You see, when we cut off the spiritual supply line of the Holy Spirit to bring all truth into our hearts and minds, my friends, then next comes a very clear danger. It's multiple step plan. Here it is. Jesus tells you, hearing, you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. You see, many of us have eyes to see, but we can't see. We have ears to hear, but we don't hear. We have a mind that's not comprehending the truthfulness, the fullness of truth. Because we have drifted into the direction of relativism. That truth is what I want it to be. Right here between this noggin 
Every one of us have decided what's true to me and what's true to you. We got to be careful. Because at the end of the day, God is coming back for a whole wheat church. And he's coming back for a people who are, and I'm going to say it clearly, are in agreement on the major foundational truths of God's word. You heard me. I don't take it back. I don't apologize about it. It's the truth. Which leads to the ultimate scariest reality of all. When you have reached, I find myself more and more asking the question, especially when I open up the plain, clear word of God and I see where God's word is so clear. I mean, you can't get any clearer. And I'll see people that go, well, you know, that's, I just don't see that. What? You don't, you don't, that's a, right here, look what it says. I don't believe that. You don't believe the word of God? Well, no, that's your, that's your interpretation. Look, Ryan, that's your truth. This is my truth. You see, when you place yourself in that camp of thinking, you automatically have placed yourself in a state of relativism where you are your God and God cannot be your God because He is a God of truth. And when you reject His truth because you can't see, why can't you see? You can't see because you've quenched the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit can't penetrate that. He can't help you see because you won't allow Him to help you see. That's the world we live in today. 40,000 different opinions and every one of them think they're right. You go walk into any nearby church. Hey, do you have the truth? You know what they're, you ain't going to walk in any of these churches. And they said, oh, no, we don't have the truth. It's down here at this other church. Every single one of them believe they have the truth. My friends, truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. Truth is absolute. With God, it's very clear. And if you're going to be a follower of the king of the universe, you must think as he thinks. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. But here it is. When we sever that connection, this is what God says the ultimate result is. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why are they going to perish? Here's the reason. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Did you hear that? You see, many people can't see the truth because they don't love truth. That's why I have people come to me all the time. You know, right? You know, people call me up at three a.m. You know, I just wanted your opinion. You know, I I I've been given this certain person in my family or my friends a Bible study, and I'm just I just it's so clear to me, and I'm trying to share it with them, and I'm giving them a plain scriptural evidence of this, and and they just don't want to receive it. You know, Ryan, can you tell me something? Can you give me some kind of pointers on on how I can make them see this? And my answer is always the same. Look, you know what? There's only two things. You only, only really one thing you can do for this person at this point. Pray. Pray the prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant. Open his eyes that he 
may see. But here is the catch. We don't serve a God that forces himself upon anyone. If there's not an instinctive love for truth, if you do not love truth, the truth cannot set you free. It cannot make you free. Because you cannot see the truth. And the reason why you can't see the truth, but only your backwards, relative, own personal ideological thinking is because you do not love truth. And there's many different reasons why people don't love truth. Because if you really love truth for what it is, oh my goodness. You know what? The Holy Spirit bombards you day and night. And some people can't handle that pressure. Some people cannot handle that pressure. You say, what are you talking about, Ryan? When you truly love truth, the Holy Spirit is constantly at you trying to win your heart. That means he's constantly there to remind you every single day of every single moment. Hey, don't go that way. Go this way. No, don't make that decision. That's a stupid decision. Don't do that. That's going to have a bad consequence. Ah, don't, don't, don't buy that. You don't, you don't need to buy that. Don't, you, you, hey, don't eat that dish. You shouldn't want eat that. Don't, that, that's not good. That's, that's going to, well, the reason why you're feeling that way is because I told you not to eat. You know, the Holy Spirit is constantly there whispering truth into your mind, into your ears, because the truth shall make you free. But when your life and your personal agenda does not harmonize with that truth, you shut off that spiritual supply line. And when you shut off that spiritual supply, line. You become God. You become your own God. Because God is no longer in control of your life, your thinking. You are. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Oh, it doesn't stop. And for this reason, God shall send them strong delusion. You didn't love the truth? You didn't want to accept it? You want to, you want to live a lie? Okay. I'll allow you to live a lie. I'll allow you to continue to believe the garbage that you want to believe. And you know what? It breaks his heart. I will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. And you say, Ryan, surely, surely there ain't no Christians around that have this type of mentality. Surely, surely professed Christians who call out upon the name of Jesus who identify with the person of Jesus, don't believe any of this mess. Surely, they don't, they don't believe all these lies. Surely, they received all the truth, right? Well, notice a recent research survey that was done by Lifeway. They polled multitudes of Americans, and then they isolated the statistics only dealing with professed Christians. And here was the statement that the Christians had to respond to. The statement was, and I know it's kind of small on the screen, so I'll read it where you can, you can hear it. Here's the statement. 
Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. That's the statement. And now all of these people must respond on whether or not they believe that that's true or not, whether they agree with it or not. Here's what's interesting. Get this. Of all of the professed Christians that took the survey, only 47%, what did I say? Only 47% strongly disagree with that statement. That's less than half. Of the professed Christians... That means the other 53%, that's right, even the even in the group here, because you have two different, three different categories here, the, those who strongly agree or somewhat agree with this statement or disagree with the statement, those that are not very sure, and then those that agree uh, or somewhat agree or strongly agree with this statement. Now, if you count, even the ones who somewhat disagreed with this statement, guess what? By stating that you somewhat disagree with this statement, that means there's some percentage there in which you agree that truth is based upon your personal opinion. Lord have mercy. So when you look at this, this is from last year. 47%, less than half said, I strongly disagree. No, truth is not of your opinion. It is objective. It is absolute. And it can only be determined by God. But the other 53% of the Christians who were polled said that in some way, form, or fashion, they agree that truth is subject to opinion. Mm. In fact, he goes on. They ask him another question. How much of the Bible have you personally read? <laughs> Look at these numbers. 10% said none of it. 13% said only a few sentences. 30% said several passages or stories. 15% said at least half of it. And, uh, of course, 12% said almost all of it, 11% said all of it, and, of course, 9% said all of it more than once. Now, it's interesting that only 19% of all of the people that were polled said that they had actually read the Bible all the way through more than once, or at least, more than, at least once or more than once. And I'll even throw in, just to be nice, the 12% who said almost all of it, because I recognize that people are still on a journey, Right? There may be someone who have come into the faith within the last few years and they may have not had the opportunity to read and comprehend all of the Bible, but they've read the majority of it and they're on a journey, right? But then you got those other people, which again, what's 19 plus 12? Help me, help me out, math people. 19 plus 12, what is that, 31? 31% of those who were polled said that they've read at least most of the Bible. That leaves, what is that, 69%? The rest who said that they've either only read just some of it, a little bit of it, or none of it. And you say, well, Ryan, what, why is that such a big deal? That shouldn't be a big deal, right? I mean, you know, no, this shouldn't really matter if you've read or not read about According to the American Bible Society in a recent study that they've done, almost nine out of ten households here in America, that's more than 87%, own a Bible, and the average household has three. If 87% of the people in this country own at least one copy of the Bible, and we're going to, and guess what? I did some more research. I found out that the recent research that was done as of last year shows that, that 65% of Americans identifies as Christian. And that's a huge drop from 2007, or was it? No, 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 2014, I think it was. Might have been 2007. 
past poll, they were down from 78% to 65%. We're 78% of America back, I think, in 07, identified as Christian. Here in 2019, it's 65%. But if 65% of Americans who own at least one to three Bibles in their home, but yet the result shows that more than 69% haven't actually even read the Bible, then you see why we're struggling with this issue of relativism. My truth, my perspective, my belief, I think. That's the world we live in. And then when they ask them, what of the following describes the Bible for you? Look at 52% said a good source of moral. 38% said a good historical account. 37% (laughs) said that it's helpful today. Only 37% said that it's helpful today. And then notice this next one, which just just threw me. Only 36% said that it's true. The majority of the Christians don't believe that all of the Bible is true. That's what the statistics show. And of course, some, some see it as life-changing, 35%. Some just see it as a good story, 34%. This is the world we live in. No wonder why Paul said these words. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. You know what that means? He's saying, you know what? You need to be constant about communicating and preaching the word. Especially more than ever in the time that we live in. Why? Because we live in a time where even the majority of Christians don't believe in truth. They don't believe the truth is absolute. That's why he says, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? This is the prophecy. And tell me if it somewhat matches up with the times that we're living in. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own what? Their own lust. What, what might that equate to? Their own truth, their own opinion. Shall they heap to themselves teachers? Why do you think many of these big-time major televangelists are so popular and have hundreds of millions of followers and supporters? So much that these brothers and sisters have their own. I just found out the other day, I didn't even know this. Kenneth Copeland has his own news station. And two jet planes, two or three of them. But you wonder, why do these brothers, these these certain popular mainstream, you know, evangelical televangelists, why do they exist? Because they preach what the people want to hear. And guess what the people of the majority want to hear? Has nothing to do with truth. They want to hear what makes them feel good about themselves. We have a lot of egotistic Christians that live among us in this world. They're more of a God to themselves than they allow God to be to them. After their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and then he finishes with this, and they shall turn away their ears from the... That's a prophecy, my friends. They shall, they will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. What can we say about this text? True that. True debt. That's where we are today. That's the time we're living in. And the list goes on. We live in a society where Christians, Christians, 
God, have mercy on us. Christians believe that, you know what? If God created you and made you born with the equipment of a male, but you want to believe and think that you're a female, good for you. That's the world we live in. Christians. Christians believe this. I know God created you as a boy, but if you want to believe you're a girl, hey, that you're entitled to that, that's your truth. And vice versa. We live in a world today, don't even get me started on politics. Mm. Don't even get me started on everything that has transpired in the last couple of weeks. If there is ever the greatest example of people living in their own alternate reality, it's been the last two weeks. Again, this is not a political statement because I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really take a political stance other than the fact that I stand for truth. But it amazes me. People, as soon as they made the announcement last Sabbath, while we were actually in church, they made the announcement, the 11 o'clock hour, that Joe Biden had won the presidency. I get out of church, you know, and you know, I had some little downtime, a few minutes to catch my breath. So I got on Facebook because I was going to put something inspirational on there, you know, and put something on there, encourage people. And I'm going through and I'm seeing post after post. Oh, I just feel so much safer now. I just feel so much, so much better knowing that there's a brighter tomorrow. I just feel like, oh, finally, the, the racism and all this stuff can end. What president you know that has gotten rid of racism? What president do you know that has just made the world a better place and done away with all these major issues that we somehow think that by voting on a ballot, it's gonna, we're putting a person in office, it's gonna stop these things. Hey, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying that you shouldn't stand up for what you believe. Do it. Stand up for what you believe. But at the end of the day, my friends, man does not have the answer. And we got people completely deceived into believing that because one, one, it went one way or the other, that somehow, that that just, just, oh, that that's just gonna somehow change the state of this nation. Have you read Revelation 13? Do we not know that God has spoken? I'm not saying don't stand, hey, what am I doing right now? I'm standing up for core Christian values. We should stand on it. We should speak our mind. We should vote against the horrendous things that are happening and the things that we want to see that's going to make this nation a better place. I believe that we should stand on those things, but don't be mistaken. God has spoken. God has already told us where this nation is headed and it is living in a dragon's den. Stand for the truth. Put your faith in Jesus there ain't a presidential candidate in the world that's going to fix or turn this nation around. It's heading in a direction of demise. And the only, what we should be doing right now is we should be on our knees. We should be praying and saying, God, I, I know that the time is fading. I know that you are coming soon. And I know that we don't have much time. Each and every one of us, instead of, you know, looking and, oh, this evidence was released today. And, oh, they're going to, what we should be doing is saying, Lord, look at my heart. Search me, oh God, and prepare me for your kingdom. 
Because none of us have tomorrow. Christian standards, out the door. We, even right here in Adventism, people that claim to believe the same thing we do, we don't all agree on Christian standards. Biblical Christian standards, they're out the door. It's relative. It's just whatever you think, because it doesn't actually say explicitly, Ryan, it's, you're, you're left to your own opinion. The Sabbath, the commandments, the gospel, the very fabric of the gospel is at stake, my friends, in this relative society that we're living in where Christians don't even believe in victory over sin anymore. They believe in more of the power of the devil to cause them to sin than they believe in the power of God to help them overcome it. That's the world we live in today. So in closing, real quick, got to make this quick because I don't want to abuse your time, but here it is. How can we make sure we are always grounded in the genuine truth? Again, from a Christian perspective, what does the Bible say? Trust in your heart. I had a young lady on my Facebook this morning. She said, she said, should I trust more in my heart or my mind? I, I responded, I said, neither. And I gave her this scripture and a couple of others. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. I don't trust Ryan. I don't anymore. I've gotten to the point now where I've, I've said when somebody challenges me with something that I'm not absolutely studied on, I've, I've literally come to the point where I go, well, you know, I know what my current opinion is, but uh, I need to study that a little bit more. But we got people who, you know, they ain't studied it at all, but they got an opinion, and their opinion is gospel. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Make sure that our opinions are in harmony with the Word of God. And some of us, we may read our Bibles daily. And we should do that. Absolutely. But there's something that I would encourage you to do more than just reading your Bible. Study it. Study your Bible. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, when you learn to study the word of God and to rightly divide the word of truth, guess what it becomes to you? It becomes a lamp to light your path. The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But in closing here, I want to read one last text that I believe is probably one of the most important in connection with this issue of absolute truth or relativism. You see, many of us struggle with quenching the spirit because we need to eat a little bit more of that humble pie. That's right. You see, don't let my don't let my charisma or chari- chari- uh, charisma whew, help me. Don't let my charisma deceive you one bit. You see, I come up here and I preach the way that I do because I believe one hundred percent in what I believe and what I'm teaching. 
This is passion. This is Ryan's way of expressing passion because I'm passionate about truth. I'm passionate about the Word of God. And I know to some people that comes across, well, that young man is just arrogant. He's just arrogant, and I don't like him. I've had people say that to me before. And my response to them is, do you know me? Have you spent a day in my shoes? Just because I'm up there passionately preaching and sometimes, you know, I could be a little charismatic does not mean that I'm arrogant. In fact, you, you live in my home. My wife sometimes has to twist my arm to say and do things that I'm terrified is going to come across the wrong way. I say all of this to say this. Even Ryan has to eat a daily dose of humble pie because no one is too good for a big old juicy piece of humble pie. No one. I don't care. And I hear, I, and I look, I'm going to tell some of you, some of my elders here. Some of us rely on experience and we think, oh, because I'm experienced, I've lived a long time. Your experience does not necessarily mean that you're all that wise. Your experience does not necessarily dictate or tell the, the story that somehow you're all that trustworthy on every single idea of thought. I love, I, I, I praise God for experience. I'm in a department where I'm flooded with experience. Experience around me. I have men, wonderful men of God who are there that I can glean and just like a fire, drinking from a fire hydrant, all of the great experience and wisdom. But at the end of the day, we got some people, well, I'm ex- look at all the years of my experience. I've lived on this. At the end of the day, every single one of us need to make sure we got a big piece of humble pie in the refrigerator to take part of each and every day. Because Jesus says that if we're going to make it out of this, right here, don't miss it. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name, will what? What does it start with? Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is the world we live in. We live in a world that's backwards. Do you ever feel like an ice, just completely isolated from the world sometimes? You know, in reality, we know we have to live in the world, but sometimes I just feel like nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. Especially when you consider it from a worldview perspective. You see, some of our young people who really, really need to spend some time with this. See, there's a whole lot more that I could have went into today. There was, there was a philosophical approach that I could have taken this, and I didn't want to get into philosophy. But this rabbit hole goes so deep. But some of our young people really need to hone in on this because, and we need to be praying for our young people because here's the challenge they have. We bring kids into this world And they're so young and innocent at first, right? But then they become teenagers. And we're dropping them in this war zone. And we're telling them, be different. Don't 
live like that. Don't think like that. Don't eat that. Don't do this. Don't dress that way. Don't listen to that. Don't watch that. Don't do any of those things. That's a sin. 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 Be a Christian. And a young person living in today's society, could you imagine? You, you can because you have. You, you, you have to live in this cesspool of a world where you're constantly, everything is, you're taught is not good. But nobody around you seems in, in perspective, in, in overall perspective, nobody around you seems to hold that same opinion or that same truth or live by that same standard. So that the longer that these young people have to progress in this current twisted mess of a world, the devil starts to attack their thinking. They see around them. And then the idea is, you know, not of this world, but I still have to live in this world. And it becomes a creeping compromise. Doesn't, it's not one big giant dump of, of lies. It just starts a little bit. He erodes the thinking over time, little bit by little bit. Until eventually, you've read enough, you've seen enough, that it just, it just doesn't seem popular. It doesn't seem real. It's not reality to live in a world like this, but can be completely different. That's just, no, that's just too much. Surely the Lord wouldn't expect me to be that way. And so there's a compromise here. There's a compromise there. There's a compromise here, there, and there. And then you bring the young people and the older people together. There's such a contrast of thinking to where one side is pointing to the other and saying, oh, ugh. The old people are looking at the younger people going, well, these kids have done lost their mind. And the young people are looking to the old people and they're saying, shh, they're so old school. Do you realize that the devil is driving a stake between generations? And let me tell you what's going to happen. If you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. I preached a sermon, I think it might have been last year or year before last, called Euthanasia. Y-O-U-T-H. The devil is driving a stake between generations. We've lost, we've lost, almost lost the battle and how we relate and witness to our young people. Because they have this very strong tendency, this pull, this, this draw to think with a relativistic mind. And you look out right here today, even today, and I ask the question, where's all of our young people? There's some here. But my question is, Where's Ben going to be in five years? Are you going to still be here, Ben? We don't know. Where's, where's the honor going to be? <laughs> Philippines. Okay. Ooh. Somebody need to strap them down now. Chain them up. Where is, that? Where is our young people going to be in a few years? You see, they're slowly but surely running out the back door. And I'll tell you why. Because... As we should, 
take a strong stance on absolute truth. We're not educated on how to befriend and witness to our young people, even amidst the the temptation of them drifting into the thinking of relativism. We don't know how to deal with that. We don't, we, don't, we don't know how to relate to them anymore. All we know how to do is stop, point fingers, and go, they're heading in the wrong direction. We might hear them come up and play a song, and, and but boy, because we didn't particularly like that choice of song, or because we didn't particularly like that, we're very quick to come to them and let them know, that's, that's just, maybe if you could have done a little bit something different. You see, sometimes the best method of witnessing to someone is not always bashing them over the head with the absolute truth. You see, because people aren't going to surrender and submit to the absolute truth until they see it in you. We talk a lot about it. We deal a lot about it. We preach a lot about it. But until they see it in you, through one ear and out the other if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 20 years God have mercy on the Adventist church God have mercy on the Adventist church you see what we all need to learn to do is surrender some of us really don't even know what this means we're still learning I'll tell you, Ryan is still learning about that. Hey, I do not have a PhD in surrender. I don't even think I have a high school diploma in surrender. I'm still learning. God is showing me. He's teaching me. Is he teaching you? Are you learning to surrender? Because when we surrender to Jesus, his truth shall make us free. (laughs) How many love them some truth? Do you love truth today? If you love truth today, I want you to say it with me. True dad. True dad. Let us pray in closing. Father in heaven, you are true. You are holy. You are just. There is truly none like you, Father. And so, Lord, I pray that today's message will penetrate our hearts and minds. That in a, in a society, in a culture that is so stricken with relativism, Lord, that the only truth that's relative to us should be the only truth. The truth of God. So, Father, take us away here safely today. Bring us back again safely another time. Give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, to continue on through our week. And may we never forget that your truth, the only truth that matters, is the only truth that will set us free. And to that I say, true dad. With every genuine sense of my my mind, true dad. That is true. 
We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Happy Sabbath, my friends.